Uh, good morning. You know what? It's, it is such a privilege. I was thinking the last time I preached here was, uh, I think, 2019. So it's been a couple years, been a couple, a couple hot minutes. And this is part of the challenge, obviously, not being able to do uh, what we normally have been done, doing for years. Um, we were talking about that, this, the incredible challenge that we've been facing as a church the last two years. And the, but we were talking about it also as pastors. We said, you know what, we're actually, it's like, it's like it's not ending. We started to talk about what we're facing even in 2022. Um, in 2022, it's like the challenges that we're, we're going through. Um, well, dealing with two years in the pandemic and then all of a sudden having a war in Ukraine that's actually affecting. It's like we're going through global pro- issues. Gone are the days that something would happen way over there and it wouldn't affect us. We're now dealing with things in such a global manner. And this is what we said. It was like we're in the midst of tremendous shakings in the world. It's like we're, we're in uh, this time when the world could be shaken like it has been. Like Paul was saying a reference to World War II or that. We're in these times where it's almost end-like. But you know what? The funny thing is we actually shouldn't be surprised. Because... The Bible actually tells what we were going to, that things are like that. In fact, they're meant to increase as we get into near the end, actually. Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about where the author of Hebrews was sharing about how in the past, when God came to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, he shook and like the earth shook when he spoke. As he was giving the law and giving all of who he was to his people, he shook But then he says, but as he shook again, he will shake once more. As he once shook again, there's going to be another shaking of both of the earth and the heavens. So the author's saying, by the way, things are going to get shaken. And he was speaking to the people right back at then that were going through actually persecution, the early church. Why was all this shaking? Well, the author actually explains why God would shake the world. And he says, so that what's happening is amongst the shaken, anything that's not, that's shakable will be shaken, but that which is unshakable will remain. And then he says, thank God we live in a kingdom that is unshakable. And what he's saying is there's actually a purpose in the shakings. Christians should understand that God would allow the world to be shaken so that what we get is something that's unshakable. And we experienced that this whole year. So, okay, take away everything. Take away maybe church, how you run it. For, did you know during the pandemic, we literally could only meet for like nine months. All of it was online. So I'm so used to this camera. And I, I want to thank Samuel, you doing the tech part. Because there's a lot of things that we, if we had not had people running and doing technology... Like we wouldn't, for us in the South, we couldn't even do, we couldn't even do church because the way the restrictions had. But we said, let us not stop gathering. If that gets shaken, if Sunday morning gets shaken, what do you got? What's it all about? We're supposed to have a kingdom that can't be shaken. What do you get? And this is what I started to realize. What is God doing? And so he says, in the shaking, we want it so that what comes down is Worship that's acceptable in Hebrews 12. So, Jen, I want to say it was amazing this morning, just the worship because, 
end of the day, you strip everything down, what is it meant just where we are able to say, Jesus, we love you, and, you, and out of that comes, do you have a hope? One of the things the Lord's been speaking to me about is this hope. Because what's happened, if you shake everything out, you suddenly realize, what has the church got? And you realize, well, there's some things we need to work on, but there's some things we're meant to be celebrating, like hope. But here's what I felt in 2022. It was like this word that God was saying, you need this, Norm. The church needs this. You do not understand there is going to be greater shakings. This is really just the beginning. And I was like, Lord, well, what do you do with that shaking? What are we supposed to get down that's unshakable? And he goes, I want my church to be unshakable. Which means we need to have something that the world is needing in spades. It's unity. So we've been praying in the church. The biggest thing that we've been praying for in our church in the south has been, God, can you bring us unity? But you know what? Unity is absolutely hard, especially when you're on another side of the river. And I'm going to explain by that. Because that's the incredible challenge that God's people were facing when they were meant to go into the promises. They had an obstacle that they had to go through. And they were called to take possession of a land. If you guys don't know, this is in Joshua. But they declared unity even when they're on the other side of the river. I'm going to explain. We're going to jump to this. Today my message is maintaining unity when you're on the other side of the river. It's from 1 Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. And the verses are going to be up there, so we'll just fly right into it. Holy Spirit, I just want to pray right now. Can you take your word and make it so that, Lord, what was spoken about your people and to, the ch- and to your, your children wanting to step into your promises, that, Lord, that this word would now come alive to us so that, Lord, it's not just what was spoken back then, but speak to us like you did through the children of Israel as examples we want to step into you that in the midst of craziness, help us, Lord, to step into this Unity in Jesus' name. So in Joshua chapter 1, verse 10 to 17, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over to this Jordan and go to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and um, Joshua said, remember the Lord that... Uh, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place for rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over arm before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives you rest to your brothers as he has to you. Just got to pause for that and let it sink in. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of your Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And then listen to their response. They answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses and all the things, we shall obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Again, we just read, oh, there's this this declaration. They're trying to go in the steps. No, this is absolutely incredible. The statement that that the children of God say to Joshua in the midst of stepping into unknown territory. Because what they were declaring was this unity. 
Now, Psalm 133 talks about this. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Did you know God loves it when we are actually in unity? Did you know that? In fact, J.R. Packer said this. He said, is, is, is unity, should Christian unity be something that we take serious? Should we? And his answer was yes, because God absolutely takes it seriously. The reason we should be looking towards unity as something that's this thing that we need, or it has to be something in us, is because it was one thing that Jesus wanted for us. In fact, it was his last dying wish. Jesus, on, the, on his time when he was about to part from this world, it's talked about his high priestly prayer. The one thing that he would ask the Father for us before he leaves is that we would become one. This is how important it is. If I have one last thing I want to say to, the, to you as a people, because I know I'm dying, what would I say? Well, I love you. and I, All the things I'd say to my loved ones that I want to, his last dying words are that you would be one just as he and the Father are one. That the same love would actually abide in us. He's using even Trinitarian language. How the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit operate. I want that for you guys. Father, can you give that to them? Now, I, when the, even the Apostle Paul takes this and he continues it on through all of the epistles, he talks about this being one or unified in the Spirit. It's often sp- spoken through the epistles. Being unified in the Spirit. Now, what that means is not uh, conformity in some ways. It actually means what, something that is uniting us Something that actually brings us together. Do you know what brings us together or should? We all have the same thing in this room. If, you've, if, you're, if you're in here today or you're watching online, we all have a common factor. You and I were called by Jesus. You did not choose him. He chose you. He chose you to bear fruit. You were actually paid by a price. You are not your own. I'm, I'm actually the same as you, simply going, I'm a child of God. How many, how many can you look, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so, yeah, I'm a child of God. Go ahead, say it to your friend, go to your husband, wife, kids, say, I'm a child of God. Person, you can respond back, say, I'm a child of God. Convince them if they don't believe that, first of all. Unifying. In fact, the unity was so powerful, Jesus said this. This will actually be your witness. They will know we are his disciples by our love for one another. Not by their truths we live by, not by the graces that we go, but yes, graces, because you love. Your actually ability to suddenly go and say, I can actually unite with somebody. Different race, different ethnic background or whatever. It's supposed to be this defining characteristic of God's people. Well, Joshua gave this instruction. Why did he give it to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh? Because in the story, they were, spent, they were meant to step into the promises of God. We understand that. They're meant to go into the promised land. But they had an obstacle. Before they even crossed the water, even before they hit Jericho, here's what it was. You see... Some of the other part people or the parts of the tribe were actually on the other side of the river. 
I want to show you the map, for example, if you can see this. This is the 12 tribes of Israel. You can, should see it up there. And you can see that what had happened was three of those, which is the half-tribe of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, were on the eastern side. They had requested that they would have their inheritance there versus where they could have been on the other. They were instantly now saying, we, is it okay if we do our, be on this side? Now, if I want to give you a history lesson, what happened, this event happened in Numbers 32. What happened in Numbers 32 is they got to the promise, they saw this goodness, and they said, hey, we'd like to stay here. And guess what? Moses got really upset. He got really upset because he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why are you guys doing this? Why are you requesting to do your own thing? Because you don't realize that this might cause potential division. And he remembers, he has a flashback, what happened in Exodus, uh, or sorry, back in Numbers 13, is when they got to the promised land, 10 out of 12 spies said, "Uh, this isn't a good idea. We should stay, we should go back, we shouldn't do this. And the result of that disunity caused them to all, as a people, wander for 40 years. So Joshua's going, or Moses probably at the time was going, whoa, why are you guys doing this? Why are you wanting to do your own thing? Ironically, God says it's okay. It's okay because what we see happened in Joshua chapter 1 is different than what happened back in the time when they didn't enter their promises. If you listen to what they said. They make a statement that's so different. And the, it's so different from the spirit they were wandering. What caused them to go through the desert for 40 years? The people said, we promise not to receive our inheritance until you receive your inheritance. Think about that. What a different spirit. I will not take what I have, my rights, whatever, until we we do this together. I want to talk about unity. It's a completely different spirit. Even if I'm on the other side of the river, I'm going to be with you. We're not going to let obstacles keep us down, is basically what these Israelites were saying. They knew there was going to be an obstacle, but they were declaring we're not going to let this be a a factor. So here's my question, though. Can I ask you a question? Why is there so much disunity in the church? You would think that with us having the Holy Spirit the church should be the most unified thing. But what I found interesting is there are so many more things than just rivers that can divide us. It could be theological differences, philosophical differences. You can add to the mix of what could cause a river between us. Well, personalities. You ever get along with everybody in a room? Tanya's saying, I can get along with everyone. I can get along with you, Tanya. That's who I, you know. No, you ever have somebody really in church you just can't get along with? Thank you for being honest. One hand. I'm like, have you ever been where like that person is really tough to get along with? If you've not, I, I don't know why. Well, because just the fact if you've ever done an Enneagram, they're different people. And I mean, we are built different or think about this. If you think about not only have those rivers that might be, you know, uh, stuff like, I don't know, maybe 
Could be issues like, I don't like the way you do certain things. Or maybe I don't like the stuff you do. The nice thing is if you're stuck behind on the other side of the river, you could just say, you do you and I'll do me and we're fine. You go your way, I'll go. And that's why Moses was so upset with these guys when they first did it. They said, if you understand, there's a potential for us to have a division. And yet they said, we're not going to let that become a factor. Not backgrounds, not age, not race, not culture. We're not going to let that river become a boundary. Because here's the reality. We all have sinful natures. We all have this thing called sin where it becomes me, myself, and I. And this is the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus, he sees. He sees that you are actually unable to be in unity. We do not have the capacity. And so I will put a new spirit in you. But do you know how easy it is to walk in the flesh? That's the challenge. And I love it that Jesus says, you know, I'll take somebody like Peter. And Peter, who would even deny him three times and say, this is my rock. I'm going to build my church on. And the gates of hell won't prevail. Gives me lots of hope. So how do we keep unity? How are we going to do this? That's the question, right? We want to ask, basically get down to, what do we, how do we do it? How do we keep it? Even when we have these obstacles, we're even on the other side of the river. Well, the scripture gives us some ideas to how to do it. First one is this, obey the command. Verse 11, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Now, I, I pause with that because how many of you like to be commanded? First of all, right there is our biggest challenge. Obey the command. I, I don't know, but we live especially in our culture that says, you ain't telling me to do anything. Like the idea for us to receive and be under command is, a, is foreign, especially in a democratic uh, culture we live in. Did you know that God's kingdom is not democratic? He's not a president. He's a king. And so that makes it really different when we have, and we put God in our little cubicle of how we live for him, and he's going, sorry, my kingdom. You will have a kingdom that will not shake if he is your king, not your president. Well, what, is, what does it mean to allow Jesus to command you, or God to command you? It means, well, Paul explains this actually in his epistle, Ephesians chapter 4. He wanted to share what his relationship was like with the, with the Lord. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Oh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul talks about how his relationship that he had with God, with Jesus, and he uses a really interesting term. He says, I'm going to describe my relationship with Jesus, and it's like this, I am a prisoner. How many of you describe yourself in your relationship with Jesus as a prisoner? Not many in us in North America. Why is that? But the crazy thing was back then, for them to become Christians, it could mean they literally were prisoners. They literally would be thrown into prison for their faith. But they were okay because they understood what it meant to be a prisoner. Now, for us in North America, we are not really used to that idea. 
The only way that you could be considered a prisoner on a Sunday morning is depending on how long Norm preaches. Amen? Right? <laughs> then you know how it is to be a prisoner of the Lord. All right? And as Carlin looks at the clock, he's like, yeah, get that thing. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. We don't really actually understand what it means. We talk about Jesus being our friend. We talk about him being a, our, our, even like our, our, our companion. And it's good because we're meant to that. We, he is a friend. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, our guide, and our help. Why? But we don't use this term prisoner. But I think because we don't, we don't understand when Jesus says, can I command you? See, a prisoner has zero rights. Zero. And when you understand what it means to be a prisoner of the Lord, this is what his relationship flew out of. It doesn't mean that it's about my comforts then. How many comforts do prisoners in other countries have compared to our country? And I even ask this sometimes, like think about it. We are pretty comfortable even in church. Like we got some pretty comfy chairs. Uh, I, I did this one time we, in our church. We first came in. I switched out. We had pews, and it was like, man, these pews are really, oh, they're tough. And one person said, I don't think we should get rid of these pews because these pews are absolutely, they, you know, talking about how the splinters that made them feel the suffering of Jesus, I laughed. The other person turned and said, can we not suffer for Christ on our backsides? Can we have some cushy chairs? We did get cushy chairs, just saying. It was funny, we were, we were laughing, we were making this big joke about the chairs in the church, pews or whatever. Hindsight way back later going, wow, if you were asking what's really important in the kingdom, chairs? Preferences? Whatever. You see, if Jesus is meant to be Lord, we don't quite have the grasp because we think of Lord. He, Jesus is not like a Lord or master that our world has. He's not a boss like we have. He's called a shepherd, a good shepherd. And this is why sometimes I think we need to remind people and say, Jesus is, wants to be your shepherd, which means he wants you to follow him. In order for him to, you to follow him, that means you have to listen to his commands. He, for example, in Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down to green pastures. He makes me. How many of you understand that God actually has your best for you, but he sometimes has to tell you to stop? Will you lie down? I don't want to lie down. I want to do my own thing. I'm really quite happy. Now, honestly, sometimes even as me, I'm a, I, I understand sheep are not the smartest things to be. Sometimes as a pastor, I'm trying to do everything by my own strength and, and trying to work out doing church. And God's like, stop, lay down. Let me be the good shepherd. Lie down. I don't want to lie down. And you wonder why you can't sit by still waters. Lie down. I'm learning how to suddenly learn to obey God first. Obey that command. But what does allowing Jesus to command you mean? Oh, this is where it's going to get really real. Because when he says, I want unity, what do you do with that? Paul shared with him, and I asked Paul if I could share this story, because when I met him 20 years ago, and I came from Whitehorse, Yukon, totally different culture, didn't even know what a Mennonite was. I came down to Winnipeg to become the youth pastor at Gateway Winnipeg, or Gateway Church, and I thought I'd gone to Africa. First of all, I didn't understand the culture in the church, and I was like, the only thing I knew is God had commanded me to come to this church. 
So I was learning the culture, but about three or four years, the, the big one that God was teaching me was what does it mean to be uni- in unity? Now here's why, because I suddenly got partnered with this guy named Paul. And Paul was one of the youth leaders, and he was helping work with me. Now, Paul and I are very competitive. I, I did not know that about him. I knew Jess, his wife. Jess was actually in our youth group back in Whitehorse. So I grew up with her, so I kind of knew. But who's this Paul guy? Well, Paul and I decided to go to start playing floor hockey together. It was like three years in, we said, let's play floor hockey. And we, did, we thought, yeah, we could do it. We, you know, we'll get some f- exercise. And on top of that, we thought maybe we could bring one of our youth out so we can get to know them. Well, this one fateful night, what had happened was this. Paul and I were already learning a little about each other, but one night what happened is I'm playing def- uh, defense on the other team. Paul, no, I think it might have been offense at that time. And Paul was playing goalie on the other team. And what happened as I was shooting, this guy bumped into me. So I immediately was like, and this is again with the other Mennonites. Well, I bumped him back. And then Paul sees me kind of give the guy a shove and he went flying. And Paul's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, what are you beaking at? I said, Paul, like you're down there. You, you're in a goal. You didn't see nothing. Well, that starts a beaking back and forth. Like, bah, bah, bah. So the next time I'm coming down by, uh, down my man playing, Paul steps in front of me. I deke him on. I'm like, come on, what are you doing? He's like, mmm. and so I whacked him on, the, on his pad with my stick. Well, he then's like, okay. So I go by. He's, he's like, and we we're like, you want to, you, you, are you, you, and we start, you want to fight? We're literally, you want to fight? Well, and yes, and then what happens is I'm trying to score as hard as I can. I'm slapping the ball. I'm like, I, I, everything inside me is the love of Jesus I have now have given up on, and now I have lost my salvation with a hockey stick. And so it's so bad that we're arguing away. Finally, the guy's like, guys, stop. So we kind of calm down. We go to the game, at the end of the game, and I'm, we're taking off our equipment. And then Paul goes, hey, you know, you're kind of being a jerk. He was, he's a very straightforward, likes to tell things as it is. Well, what do you mean I'm being a jerk? You're, and, and then it started again. And this time, like, you want to fight? Literally, let's go outside. Let's take it out. You want to go outside? And then we're li- literally having this battle out. And the guys are like, guys, what are you doing? And there's one of our kids who are youth are with us. What amazing example we are. So we stop. I'm not really stopped. Because we have to behave because we're trying now realizing that we're being a terrible example for the kids. So we had to drive back in Paul's car, the kids in the car with us. Not a peep. We're just silent. Silence is golden, yes. But we're not dealing with actually the issue. Because as soon as the guy gets out of the, out of the car, instantly, I can't believe it. And we went up again, but went to the ninth. Like it's now, I am tired of you. We're done. I'm sick of you. Like this is, if this is what it is now, we are that bad. We pull in, Nikki and Jess were at our house. And they're having tea enjoying, you know, and fellowshipping together, and all they hear is this, rah, rah, I can't believe we're going to be, and we were, and they literally, like, what just happened? Get in the car, get in the car, and we are just absolute, lost it. And so what happens is, I, we go to bed, Nikki knows enough, just, I can't say anything, because he will, I will even go worse. It's the middle of the night, I'm sitting here, and I cannot sleep, so I have my conversation with the Lord, Father, Paul, I can't believe he did that. Paul did this, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm glad you'll deep. God, can you deal with Paul? God, he is such a, I can't believe he's, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, it was like, as clear as day, will you take the log out of your eye? You know what that means, right? What's going on in here? Before you cast judgment to try to take a speck, what's going on here? 
And suddenly uh, the Holy Spirit is asking me something from John 17. What does it mean to really be one? What does it mean? I don't, like, I don't want to be with this guy. I don't like him. What are you talking about? And yet we're supposed to work together with youth. We're supposed to be. And so what happened was I looked in and I, said, I just started to, by the next day I wrote an email saying to Paul, I'm sorry because I'm not going to show your sins. This is what the Lord said to me about my sins. And I just listed all the things I did wrong. Not to try to prove his sin. So the Holy Spirit was dealing with me. And what happened was when I did that, Paul then came back and said, and this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. And we apologized. I didn't want to obey the Holy Spirit. I didn't want to obey what it means to actually be in unity, but I'm so glad I did because what it did was brought a credible relationship and friendship. I saw that Paul actually had the ability to preach. In fact, he started, I said, I think you're even better at it than me, so could you preach to our kids and our youth? He took all of our preaching in, in our youth. I would have lost that. I would have lost a dear friend that our kids are growing up and, and, a, and relationship because I refused to obey the command. If we're committed to praying and fighting for unity, are we willing to obey the command even when we have these obstacles we're on the other side of the river? Well, the next one is this, accepting the cost. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over, arm before your brothers, and you shall help them until the Lord gives you rest to your brothers as he has given you. And they will take possession of land that the Lord God has given them. Again, this profound idea that I'm thinking about you. See, unity, why unity is so difficult is because unity actually has a cost. When I'm going to be in unity with somebody, what I'm saying is, what is your battle becomes my battle. Are you willing to fight other people's battles? And this is where Carlos, I said, you're, you're amazing on how you stole my sermon today. Because it's so easy when you're far away, when, you're, when you've got barriers to say, I do not have to fight with this person anymore. In fact, it's the easy way out. Just let's not, let's just you do you and I do me. That's a you problem. And we can do that. What if, what if your battle is, could be anything, like maybe poverty. You're struggling with finances. See, I live in East Kildonan, and I don't have a lot of poverty in East Kildonan. But what does it mean when I see brothers and sisters in the inner city, and I drive by them all the time, and I just think, that's you. Or what if I see that somebody who's really struggling with, could be anything, like language as a barrier or whatever, and I just think, well, I can speak English. You, you could figure it out. What if I actually are dealing with, could be sickness or health? When does that become my battle? Because I understand you're battling something like cancer. And that becomes my battle. No, I'm healthy. No. What if your battle's literally a battle across the ocean? I'm going to make that my battle. I don't know you. But I'm not going to let obstacles like anything when I say, I'm not going to rest until you are blessed. That's really what unity looks like. And this is what the world is screaming for in, this, in these days. You know what? I found a real challenge in the pandemic because suddenly I realized how polarizing things could get. 
It's like suddenly the, the, the things that we started to fight amongst the church, we had, there was, and honestly, it was probably the most tricky time for me as a pastor trying to deal with something as simple as a regulation being changed, a mandate being changed. And having to wrestle through, I'm, I'm going to confess, sometimes I'll be like, I, this is so, I cannot please everyone. It feels like if I do this, I do this wrong. If I do this, I do this wrong. And it was interesting because I'm going, how do I fight the battles when everyone's battle is, they're picking their battles. And if you pick a battle, you're going to choose a side. And then the Lord spoke to us, spoke to me very clearly. He said, if you're going to try to please man, then you're going to deal with the criticism of man. But if you try to please your father, that's what we need to be after. And you know what his commands are? Love one another. To love, you know, him and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you follow those, it's interesting, you'll not hear about ourselves. It actually puts me in my place. I was listening to this thing of Rick Warren because somebody said to Rick Warren, a guy who's been a pastor for years, and said, Rick, how have you been so successful? How have you been a pastor for so many years? And he said, I learned something very critical. He said, it's how I'm going to deal with criticism. Hearing one another, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace, it's how you're going to deal with criticism. And this is what Pastor Rick said. How do you deal with criticism? For him, he saw... Jesus, and his model was Jesus. Jesus, first of all, looked to only please his father. So he goes, honestly, I'm not into trying to please man anymore. And that's tough for us. Stop pleasing people, even myself, but God. The other thing is this, is recognizing that when I'm dealing with stuff, how do I respond to people who are criticizing me? And you know what? Rick Warren said something. In all of his years of ministry, he has never criticized anyone. Ever. Not on social media. Because he said, think of it this way. How did Jesus respond to anyone? He never had to retaliate. Imagine a church that says, I refuse to retaliate. If we're committed to praying and fighting for one another, then we need to be eager to accept the cost of unity, fighting each other's battles. And the final one is this, living the challenge. You guys have been awesome, thank you. Living the challenge. Verse 16, and they answered Joshua, all that you've commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Like I said, this is a powerful challenge of their declaration to Joshua. Here's why. Unity is an absolute gift. Unity actually can only come from God. I think we can mutually try to get, but I think that to have something that is absolutely heaven here on earth, this is why we need a savior, to be honest. I can say to you guys, what is the hope that we have in this world? I think the world is going to get crazier because as we push God away, we're now saying we can do it on our own strength. And we actually become way more individualistic. So my brain isn't, I know we call it being prophetic. No, it's just being smart. God, I don't need you. I'm going to do this. Now you're looking for your own inner ability to become unified. It'll never work. It's going to get worse. What we project as unity will be conformity or you're gone. 
And this is the crazy thing is in Christ, we do not have to have conformity. We can have unity. Celebrating because we see something different. In Christ, we have the ability to see something. The Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh do this. We're going to follow you just like we followed Moses. Now I'm thinking, how do you guys do that? He's not Moses. How do you say you're going to fall like Moses? That's kind of weird because he's not Moses, so what are you doing? No, they're, they're saying, we can see the calling of leadership on you just as we saw in Moses. Now it's crazy because has Joshua ever done a miracle yet? Has he proven himself in leadership? How could they say this? Maybe he did one battle and whatever. They saw him stand up against the crowd when everyone was turning on. They all, but really, why would they say, no, you're like Moses? I think it was God giving them a revelation. A revelation that we can have in seeing one another. It's acknowledging Joshua's place. And Paul explains this because you can actually regard somebody in the flesh or you can regard somebody in the spirit. Did you know that? Let me explain. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about the church and he says, we have this fear of the Lord. I'm going to give you my paraphrase. And this fear is the love of God which controls me. And then he says this, from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I'm a new creation. You're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, do you see each other as a new creation? Question. Or do we struggle with that biblical concept right there? We once regarded Christ according to flesh, but we regard him no longer, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God through Christ reconciling himself and giving us the ministry of reconciliation. How does reconciliation work? I see you as a new creation, and that's how I can work. How does this work? Well, let me explain. How many of you like Carland? Okay, but I'm going I'm to tell you what is so amazing about Carland. Did you know that Carland is one of God's sons? Did you know that God dwells in Carland? Did you know that Carland actually is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Tony, you could say to him, my, you're a fine temple of the Holy Spirit. Go ahead, you can say it. Yeah, look at that. You're a fine temple of the Holy Spirit. This is crazy. The God of the universe, the one who said, if you look at me, you will die. I'm that holy says, I'm going to now dwell inside of Carland. In fact, he is my treasured possession. He is like my bride. Men don't like being called brides, but Carlin, think about that. The one who spoke said son, and that word out of nothing created what that is, says, I want to be in this guy. I am bumping all the time to not only that, he's the body of Christ. And there's, you're, you're actually, there are parts to this that I, in fact, love about what you can do because you're now connected intricately to Jesus. I, it's just amazing. 
Almighty God chose Carlin to live and be with him. He is so a part of God's holy people. Carlin, I am so, it's just amazing to think every, every day that you, God, so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. You are so precious. But I could flip a switch and look at him like the, in the flesh just that quick. Paul's saying you have a choice all the time regarding someone by how Jesus sees the guy that was worth dying for versus how we Put our little grids on. What a challenge to see what God sees in people. Should we not be destroyed? Should we not be perished? Should should, how does he put up with us as we push him away? As we constantly are going, I don't need you, God. Even as Christians, we do that. We live our lives not through the lens of what he sees. And yet he says, I love you and I'm never giving up. I'm never giving up. And yet, how quick are we to say to someone, I give up on you though. And this is where the half tribe of Manasseh and the Gadites and the Reubenites and Manasseh did this where they said, no, we see something in you. We see something. You see, scripture tells us we need each other in 1 Corinthians 12. And so this is the, the part. I've been shocked with how many people who actually have come up and saying, I don't know if I need church anymore. And it's absolutely unbiblical. Here's why. I have this lady. She, this is the part that I've missed in the pandemic. Her name is Mary Dirksen. Mary Dirksen is this little old lady. She's now 90 years old. She exuberates faith. She is an evangelist. She evangelizes all the time, sharing Jesus. She, she, when I come in, I honestly, out of all the people in church, Pastor Norm, you did a great job. She is such an encourager. She goes, oh, thank you for feeding. She is constantly my greatest encourager. And you know what? This is the amazing part. When she was 70 years old, her husband had passed away from cancer, and she said, I'm going to go, and I want to go and be a missionary to Africa. So she goes, and no missionary agency would take her because she's too old. They said, we can't even insure you. And she goes, fine, I'll go myself. And she started an orphanage there. She did it until she could no longer see and hear, so she had to come back because she couldn't do it. But she says, I'm still not done because Jesus hasn't taken me home. Who on earth would say, I don't need a Mary Dirksen in my life? You're missing out every time. If I don't, if I'm I'm missing out on Mary And yet people turn around and say, I don't need church. What? What? Then do it yourself. It's way better. I would not give up on a Mary Dirksen in my life for nothing. Maybe you have a Mary Dirksen in here. I bet you do. (laughs) If you you know someone, please tell them, I come to church. Not because of you. I'm not going to idolize you. But I have a perspective that says I'm so thankful for you because you're part of the body of Christ, I need you today. And did you know you're needed as well? This is the problem. Church has become a spectator sport when instead of we actually have, take this all away, now what do you got? How do you want another? That's what we had for nine months. I had to learn how to be church. And it happened not even just on a Sunday morning. It was awesome. 
How do we live it? How do we, well, this unity comes by living a challenge of seeing what God sees, even when I have an obstacle in front of me on the other side of the river. You know what? I'm just going to pass because you guys have been crazy. I went way over in some of my stories, so I'm going way over. Let me just do this. Can you all stand? And I, I had some thoughts of how you could keep unity very practical, like don't let the sun go down in your anger. Listen more than you talk. That's my hardest one. You know, I have these little thoughts of how we could use unity and love because we always have to practice it. But today, I just think we need this. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to... And maybe today, you're actually really just... You, you kind of been struggling with people. Criticism. I want to pray for you if that's possible. How many of you actually are kind of like really, we've got more and feel like to hear the message like it could get more shaking? Like that's really encouraging. How many of you are like, I actually need, I need God to help me today to become unified, to become this person that actually lives it out as it gets shaken? Because I'm actually today feeling pretty sometimes discouraged. I actually want to give up on church or I'm giving up on Whatever. And if you, even that, you might even have somebody who really been got offended through this whole a pandemic. Paul, quit looking at me. I want to pray for you. So you just you put your hands out. And, and if that's you, just give it to the Lord. Lord, I, I just wanted this as a symbol of giving my hands to you because I need you. Holy Spirit, it's a gift. Unity comes from you. You'll put a new spirit in me. Lord, I know there's a partnership that I need to obey your command. Father, forgive us for we know not what we do. I'm asking for grace today. So Lord, when we have stumbled and we've fallen today, but Lord, if you can show us how we can obey that command again. Lord, there's a cost to this and I'm asking that you'd help me to make that cost. He said, if I deny myself, take up your cross and follow you. If I lose my life, I'm gonna gain it. But Lord, I'm scared because there's sometimes the cost is too much. I've lost a lot or I'm discouraged. So Lord, I want to ask today, we know you paid that price, but help us today to make the cost. Now finally, Holy Spirit, you call us to live the life that only your spirit can. So I want to ask right now, can you breathe over this congregation, breathe on people at home? Can you breathe right now so that again, you would fill us with the power made perfect in our weakness? We cannot be unified. The church is getting absolutely torn apart because we're trying to do things in our own strength. So today, I ask, refill your church again with your power made perfect because we need your grace. Forgive us, Father. I'm asking, fill us. We need a Savior. We need you to save us again in the church even. So that, Lord, what battles are that we can say, I'm going to fight in Ukraine, not have to physically there, but I'm going to carry that battle they are, whether it's through prayer or finances. Lord, I'm going to fight for my leadership. I'm going to fight for my church. I'm going to fight for, because those battles are what you fought for. God, give me this Holy Spirit moment where I see the giftings in each other, and I honor it, I love it, and I encourage it. I speak to every little Mary Dirksen in this church. Arise, arise, arise. I pray that for the youth. Arise, arise. Kids, be encouraging to your kids. You sing loud. Go to the top of your lungs. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.